careof.com. You know your body. Care of no science. Let's work together. Find the right vitamins, protein, and now collagen too. Personalized just for you. Healthy doesn't have to be hard. We make it easy. Take a quiz. Tell us a little about yourself. Tara with good listeners. Get nutrients that work. Get your personalized recommendation backed by science and delivered to you. Stick with it long term. Keep the conversation going. Kara will adjust your as your health needs change. A routine tailored to you. Kara will help you create a health plan with vitamins, supplements, and more that help you feel your best today and support you long term. Kara is with you. Once you have your tailored plan, Kara will help you stick with it. Track your supplements, learn about how they work, and get new recommendations as your health changes all in Kara's handy app. Say hello to your new healthy habit. Honest guidance. Kara promises to be honest with you. That means Kara will show you the research and be transformed about how established it is. Kara doesn't pretend all supplements have equal levels of scientific evidence or traditional history because that isn't in the tr- isn't the truth. But Kara will always show their work and tailor their guidance to you as an individual. Better ingredients. Carib's research and development system team has traveled the globe so they can provide the most effective, bioavailable, and sustainable ingredients possible. They're transparent about their supply chain because they build products they want to take, and then they deliver them straight to your door. Tempestsafe.com, whole home protection, protection for every window, room, and door against intruders, fires, water damage, medical emergencies, and more. All monitored 24-7 by professionals ready to dispatch police. Everything you need to know. Experts choose Simplesafe Home Security because it's named Best Home Security Overall by U.S. News and World Report and awarded by Popular Mechanics and more. Live professional alerts. Simplesafe's monitoring staff calls you when trouble is detected and stays with you until it's solved. Dispatch faster with usual visual verification. Adding visual verification to your monitoring plan lets Simplesafe verify your alarm. It is real, so police can dispatch faster. It's a lot less ex- ex- expensive. Simpson cuts out the middleman and mark- markup so you get more security for less with no contact. Prepared for the, un- the unexpected. Lose power, lose Wi-Fi, someone attacks the system, natural disaster, Simple Safe is ready. Protects against fires and water damage. More than just intruders. Simplesafe Pro's monitor against leaks, floods, fires, and more. Keep an eye inside and out. With HD security cameras for indoors and out, see what's happening all the time. Designed to disappear. The tiny size of Simplesafe sensor to easy one-touch control means you'll never notice your security system. Detects people, ignores pets. Motion sensors use a Precision human form detection algorithm. Compare your security options. Traditional home security monitored by professionals. 36 month contract monitoring costs. 37 to $53 a month. Hardwired needs a landline. Poor rating on Trustpilot. Simply safe the better way. Monitor 
Alright, professionals, no contracts, wireless, no drilling or landline required, great rating on Trustpilot, easy to set up yourself in no time. Here's how it works. Choose your security sensors. SimpleSafe will walk you through exactly what your home needs and ship it to your front door in under a week. Set up, set it up. <coughs> set it up in just a few minutes, no tools needed, or let one of SimpleSafe's pros do it for you. Census guard all your rooms and entry points. If there's trouble, SimpleSafe Bonsering Center will call you and if you just dispatch authorities. More reasons to choose SimpleSafe. Arm, disarm from anywhere. Forgot to arm your system. Need to let someone in. Do it right from your phone anytime. Almost never change your batteries. Batteries last for almost a decade in SimpleSafe's Entry sensors, the best lifespan in the industry. Battery life may vary based on use. Alexa, arm my system. Use your system with Alexa, Google Assistant, August Locks, Apple Watch, and more. Keep an eye on cabinets, safes, and more. Secret alert, alerts quietly alerts you if someone accesses private areas without gar sounding an alarm. Customize for your home. Super safe. Customize the right system for your home's needs. Incredible range. Any wireless secure security assistance struggle to cover your entire house. SimpleSafe can cover large homes with ease. Custom alerts for friends and family. Set up text alerts so friends and family stay in the know. Duress pin. If someone forces you to disarm your system, your duress pin will secretly alert the authorities. Meet the station. The Brains comes with a built-in cell connection to rapidly alert SimpleSafe Emergency Dispatch Center. Try it, test it, love it, or return it. Test SimpleSafe in your home for 60 days. Your system arrives ready to work. No drilling no or tools needed. If you aren't 100% successful, return it for a full refund. SimpleSafe will even pay return shipping. And here is Part 4 of U.S. President Number 28. Woodrow Wilson with demobilization and first red scare. Wilson's leadership in domestic policy in the aftermath of the war was complicated by his focus on the Treaty of Versailles, opposition for the Republican-controlled Congress, and beginning in late 1919, Wilson's illness. A plan to reform a commission for the purpose of demobilization of the war was abandoned due to the Republican control of the Senate. As the public could block the appointment of commission members. Instead, Wilson favored the prompt dismantling of wartime boards and regulatory agencies. Demobilization was chaotic and violent. Four million soldiers were sent home with little planning, little money, and few benefits. Major strikes in the steel, coal, and meat packing engines disrupted the economy in 1919. Some of the strikes turned violent, and the country experienced further turbulence as a series of race riots, primarily whites attacking blacks, broke out. The country was also hit by the 1918 flu pandemic, which killed over 600,000 Americans in 1918 and 1919. A massive agricultural price collapse was averted in early 1920 through the efforts of Hoover's Food Administration, but prices dropped substantially in late 1920. After the expiration of wartime contracts in 1920, the U.S. plunged into a severe economic depression and un unemployment rose to 11.9%. Following the October Revolution in the Russian Empire, many in the United States feared the possibility of a 
communist-inspired revolution in the United States. These fears were inflamed by the 1919 United States anarchist bombings, which were conducted by the anarchist Luigi Galeana and his followers. Fears over left-wing subversion, combined with a patriotic national mood, led to the outbreak of the so-called First Red Scare. Attorney General A. Mitchell Palmer convinced Wilson to delay amnesty for those who had been convinced of wartime sedition, he, and he launched the Palmer raids to disperse radical organizations. Palmer's activities met resistance from the courts and from some senior officials in the Wilson administration, but Wilson was physically incapacitated by late, teen, by late 1919, did not move to stop the, the raids. Palmer warned of a massive 1920 May Day uprising, but after the day passed by without incident, the Red Scare largely dissipated. Prohibition and Women's Suffrage Prohibition developed as an unstoppable form during the war, but Wilson played only a minor role in its passage. After decades of advocacy in 1917, temperance groups such as, as the Women's Christian Temperance Union and the Anti-Saloon League convinced both House of Congress to pass a constitutional amendment imposing nationwide prohibition. The amendment ratified by the states in 1919, becoming the 18th Amendment in October 1919, Wilson vetoed the Volstead Act, legislation designed to enforce the prohibition. But as veto was overridden by Congress, prohibition began on January 16, 1919. The manufacture, importation, sale, and transport of alcohol were prohibited, except in specific cases, such as wine used for religious purposes. Wilson firstly favored women's suffrage, but early in his presidency, he held that it was a state matter, partly because of strong opposition in the South to any constitutional amendment. The increasingly prominent role women took in the war effort in factories and at home convinced Wilson and many others to fully support women's suffrage. In a 1918 speech before Congress, Wilson for the first time endorsed a national right to vote. We have made partners of the women in this war. Shall we admit them only to a partnership of suffering and sacrifice and toll and not to part, not to a partnership of privilege and right. That same year, the House passed a Constitution amendment providing for women's suffrage nationwide, but the amendment stalled in the Senate. Wilson continued to pressure the Senate to vote for the amendment, telling senators that its ratification was vital to winning the war. The Senate finally approved the amendment in June 1919, and the requisite number of states ratified the 19th Amendment, 19th amendment in August 1920. 1920 election. Despite his ill health, Wilson continued to maintain the possibility of running for a third term. Many of Wilson's advisors tried to convince him that his health precluded another campaign, but Wilson nonetheless asked Secretary of State Bainbridge Colby to nominate him for president at the 1920 Democratic National Convention. While the convention strongly endorsed Wilson's policies, Democrat leaders were unwilling to support the ailing Wilson for a third term, and instead nominated a ticket consisting of Governor James M. Cox and Assistant Secretary of the Navy. Franklin D. Roosevelt, the 1920 Republican National Convention, nominated a dark horse candidate, Senator Warren G. Harding of Ohio. The Republicans centered their campaign around opposition to Wilson's policies, with Harding promising a return to normalcy to the conservative policies that had prevailed at the turn of the century. Wilson largely stayed out of the campaign, although he endorsed Cox and continued to advocate for U.S. membership in the League of Nations. Harding won a landslide victory, taking 60.3% of the popular vote. And winning every state outside of the South, Wilson met with Harding for a tea on his last day in office, March 3, 1921, but, his, but health issues prevented him from taking part in Harding's 
inauguration ceremonies, final years, and death. After the end of his second term in 1921, Wilson and his wife moved from the United States to a townhouse in the Colorama section of Washington, D.C. He continued to follow politics as President Harding and the Republican Congress repudiated membership in the League of Nations, cut taxes, and raised tariffs. In 1921, Wilson opened a law office with former Secretary of State Bainbridge Colby, but Wilson's second attempt at practicing law proved no more enjoyable than his first, and the practice was closed by the end of 1922. Wilson experienced more success with his return to writing, and he published short works on the international impact of the American Revolution and the rise of totalitarianism. He declined to write memoirs, but frequently met with Ray Stannard Baker, who wrote a three-volume biography of Wilson that was published in 1922. In August 1923, Wilson attended the funeral of his successor, Warren G. Harding. On November 10, 1923, Wilson made his last national address to deliver a short Armistice Day radio speech from, li- from the library of his home. Wilson's health did not markedly improve after leaving office. His left arm and left leg were both paralyzed, and he frequently suffered digestive tract issues. His health declined throughout January 1924, and he died on February 3, 1924. He was interred in a sarcophagus in Washington National Cathedral and is the only president interned in the nation's capital. Race relations. The white men were, were roused by a mere instinct of self-preservation until at last there had sprung into existence a great Ku Klux Klan, a veritable empire of the South to protect the Southern country, quotation from Woodrow Wilson's history of the American people as reproduced in the film The Birth of a Nation. Wilson was the first Southerner to be elected president since Secretary Taylor and was elected in 1848, and his ascension to the presidency was celebrated by Southern Segregationists, the federal government had pursued racist policies for decades, but not limited to early defenses of slavery, treatment of Native Americans, intervention policies in Latin American and immigration policies that specifically prevented Africans and Asians from immigrating to the United States. Several historians have spotlighted consistent examples in the public record of Wilson's so overtly racist policies and political appointments, such aggression, segregationists, he Places his cabinet, Ross Candy, writes that Wilson's support of segregation complied with predominant public opinion. A Scott Berg and A. Scott Berg argues that Wilson accepted segregation as part of a policy to promote racial progress by shocking the social system as little as possible. Historian Kendrick Clemens argues that Wilson had none of the crude, vicious racism of James K. Vardaman or Benjamin R. Tillman, but he was insensitive to African American feelings and aspirations. Wilson continued to appoint African Americans to positions that had traditionally been filled by blacks, overcoming opposition from many Southern senators. However, the Wilson administration escalated the discriminatory hiring policies and segregation of government office that had begun under President Theodore Roosevelt and had continued under the President Taft. In Wilson's first month in office, Postmaster General Albert S. Burleson urged the President to establish segregated government offices. Wilson did not adopt Burleson's proposals to segregate all government departments, but he allowed cabinet to segregate their irrespective departments. By the end of 1913, many de- departments, including the Navy, had segregated workspaces, restrooms, and cafeterias. There was almost no opposition in Congress toward the, these policies, most of which would say would stay in place for years afterward. Wilson's African-American supporters, who had crossed party lines to vote for him in 1912, were bitterly disappointed and they protested these changes. Wilson defended his administration's segregation policy in a July 1913 letter responding to civil rights activist Oswald Garrison Villard 
arguing that segregation removed friction between the races. Wilson's War Department drafted hundreds of thousands of blacks into the army, giving them equal pay with whites, but in accord with military policy from the Civil War through the Second World War, they segregated them all into all black units with white officers and kept the great majority out of combat. In response to demand for industrial labor, the great migration of African Americans out of the South urged in 1917 and 1918. This migration sparked race riots, including the East St. Louis riots of 1917. In response to this riots, but only after much public outcry, Wilson asked Attorney General Thomas Watt Gregory if the federal government could intervene to check these disgraceful outrages. However, on the Advice of Gregory Wilson, he did, did not take direct action against the riots. In 1918, Wilson spoke out against these, against lynching, stating, I say plainly that every American who takes part in the action of mob or gives it any sort of countenance is no true son of this great democracy, but is betray, betrayer and discredits her by that single disloyalty to her standards of law and of rights. In 1919, another series of race riots occurred in Chicago, Omaha, and two dozen other major cities in the North. The federal government did not become involved, just as it had not become involved previously. Wilson also lamented over the contamination of American bloodlines by the sordid and hapless elements coming from Southern and Eastern Europe. In terms of Reconstruction, Wilson held the common Southern view that the South was demoralized by Northern carpet baggers and that overreach on the Part of the radical Republicans justified extreme measures to assert democratic, democratic white majority control of southern state governments. During Wilson pre, Wilson's presidency, D.W. Griffith's film *The Birth of a Nation* (1915) was the first motion picture to be screened in the White House. Wilson agreed to screen the film at the urging of Thomas Dixon Jr., a John Hopkins classmate who wrote the book on which *The Birth of a Nation* was based. The film, while revolutionary in cinematic technique, glorified the Ku Klux Klan and portrayed blacks as uncouth and uncivilized. Wilson and only Wilson is quoted in the film three times as a scholar of American history and made no protest over this them in over the misquotation of his words. Nonetheless, after seeing the film, Wilson felt betrayed by Dixon as he felt that Dixon mis had mis misrepresented his views. Wilson's book did try to explain why many Southerners joined the, Ku the Klan but Wilson personally rejected the Ku Klux Klan and lynching as un-American. After the screening, Wilson issued a public statement stating that he had been unaware of the character of the play before it was presented and has at no time expressed his approbation of it. His existence at the White House was a courtesy extended to an old acquaintance. Historians have generally concluded that Wilson probably said that the birth of a nation was like the writing history was like writing history with lightning, but rejected but reject the allegation that Wilson also marked one of the great is that it is also terribly true. Legacy, historic reputation. Wilson is generally ranked by historians and political scientists as one of the better presidents more than any of his predecessors. Wilson took steps towards the creation of a strong federal government that would protect ordinary citizens against the overwhelming power of large corporations. He is generally regarded as a key figure in the establishment of modern American liberalism and a strong influence on the future president such as Franklin D. Roosevelt and Lyndon B. Johnson. Cooper argues that in terms of impact and ambition, only the New Deal and the Great Society rival the domestic accomplishments, domestic accomplishments of Wilson's presidency. Many of Wilson's accomplishments, including the Federal Reserve and 
the Federal Trade Commission, the graduate income tax, and labor laws continue to influence the United States long after Wilson's death. Wilson's side, Wilson's idealistic foreign policy, which came to be known as Wilsonianism, also cast a long shadow over American foreign, foreign policy, and Wilson's League of Nations influenced the development of the United Nations. Saladin Ambar writes that Wilson was the first statesman of world stature to speak out not speak out not only against European imperialism but against a newer form of economic domination, sometimes described as informal imperialism. Notwithstanding his accomplishments in office, Wilson has received criticism for his record on race relations and civil liberties, for his interventions in Latin America, and for his failure to win ratification of the Treaty of Versailles. William Sigmund Freud and William Christian Bullock Jr. and American diplomat. Collaborate in the 1930s on a psychological study that published in that was published in 1966. They argued that Wilson resolved his Oedipus complex by becoming highly neurotic, casting his father as God and himself as Christ, the Savior of mankind. Historians rejected the interpretation. Diplomatic historian A.J.P. Taylor called it a disgrace and asked, "How did anyone ever manage to make to take Freud seriously?" Many conservatives have attacked Wilson for his role. <coughs> Many conservatives have attacked Wilson for his role in expanding the federal government. In 2018, conservatives, conservative columnist George Will wrote on the Washington Post that Theodore Roosevelt and Wilson were the progenitors of today's imperial presidency. But in the wake of Charleston. <coughs> But in the wake of the Charleston Church sh shooting, during a debate over the removal of Confederate monuments, some evangelists demanded the removal of Wilson's name from institutions affiliated with Princeton due to its administration's segregation of government offices. On June 26, 2020, Princeton used to remove Wilson's name from its public policy to school during <coughs> school due to his racist thinking and policies. The Princeton University Board of Trustees voted to remove Wilson's name to the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs. <coughs> the board also accelerated the retirement of the name of, of, of a soon-to-be-disclosed residential college, changing the name from Wilson College to First College. <coughs> However, the board did not change the name of the university's highest honor for an undergraduate alumnus or alumna. The, Wilson Wilson, the Woodrow Wilson Award, because it is the result of a gift. The board stated that when the university accepted that gift, it took on a legal obligation to name the prize for Wilson. <coughs> Memorials. The Woodrow Wilson Presidential Library is located in Staunton, Virginia. The Woodrow Wilson Boyle Home in Augusta, Georgia, and the Woodrow Wilson House in Washington, D.C. are national historic landmarks. The Thomas Woodrow Wilson Boyle Home in Columbia, South Carolina, listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Shadow Lawn, the Summer White House for Wilson during his term in office, became part of Monmouth University in 1956. It was declared a National Historic Landmark in 1985. Prospect House, Wilson's residence during part of his tenure at Princeton, is also a National Historic Landmark. Wilson's presidential papers and his personal library are at the Library of Congress. The Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars in Washington, D.C. is named for Wilson. And the president and the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs is Princeton 
and President was named for Wilson until President Ford trusted voters to remove Wilson's name in 2020. The Woodrow Wilson National Fellowship Foundation is a nonprofit that provides grants for teaching fellowships. The Woodrow Wilson Foundation was established in to honor Wilson's legacy, but it was terminated in 1993. One of Princeton's six residential colleges was originally named Wilson College. Numerous schools, including high schools, bear Wilson's name. Several streets, including the Rambla, Presidente Wilson in Montevideo, Uruguay, have been named for Wilson. The USS Woodrow Wilson, a Lafayette-class submarine, was named for Wilson. Other things named for Wilson include the Woodrow Wilson Bridge in Washington, D.C., and the Palais Wilson which all serves as the headquarters of the, of, of the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights in Geneva. Monuments to Wilson include the Woodrow Wilson Monument in Prague. In Prague. In 1944, Dale F. Zanuck of 20th Century Fox produced a film titled Wilson, the largest denominator U.S. currency ever printed. The $100,000 bill meant for use only among pres. Federal Reserve Bank bears Wilson's portrait. One year after Wilson's death, the United States, the U.S. Post Office issued the first postage stamp honoring the late president. Since then, four more stamps were issued in Wilson's honor, the last being issued in 1998. In 2010, Wilson was inducted into the New Jersey Hall of Fame. Notes, though a handful of elite northern schools did admit African-American students, at the time, most colleges refused to accept black students. Most African-American college students attended black colleges and universities such as Howard University. In December 1913, Wilson inaugurated the tradition of delivering the annual State of the Union address before a joint session of Congress. From, from 1801 to 1912, presidents had submitted an annual message to Congress in writing. The federal government had adopted an income tax in the 1890s, but that tax had been struck down by the Supreme Court in the case of Pollock versus Farmers Loan and Trust Company before taking effect. House and Wilson fell out during the Paris Peace Conference and House no longer played a role in the administration after June 1919. Thank you for this episode of the 28th U.S. President, Woodrow Wilson. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you stay safe during this coronavirus pandemic that's extended in 2021. As I look forward to enormously now that the vaccines are out, if that can ever happen. Have a good week. Stay tuned to the next president, Warren G. Harding.